Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Hey everybody. Uh, so like Aaron said, my name is Utah. He did take half of my talk, so that's okay. I'm the youngest of five and the smallest of none in my family. Uh, I grew up in Matamata my whole life. I was born in Pukekohe and then I moved down there when I was a baby and then stayed there till I was 18. Wanted to get out of it because uh, I thought it was terrible. Left for Auckland, figured out what terrible was. Came back to Matamata. Um, I studied performing arts up there, majoring in guitar. Like Aaron said, I've been going to Narrows for as many years as I can remember. To be honest, this is the first year I accidentally went to Mystery Creek. It was, it was an accident. Uh, I wore Narrows Park gear every day, uh, hat, hoodie, everything I could, and when anyone asked me what Easter camp was like, I would just point them over to Narrows Park. Um, so I was still a bit bitter about that, but that's okay. Our whole youth group was there, uh, and same thing, it was an amazing time. But I know some of these guys from Easter camp, except some of them have facial hair now. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> I'm just jealous to be fair, I haven't shaved since Easter camp and this is all I got, so. No, I, I have been an associate pastor for a little while now, three years, I was lost when I started and I have figured out that I'm definitely lost now that I'm three years into it. And we've been going through a series called Jesus Is, because we've been talking after Easter camp, we just wanted to come back and we really wanted to hunker down into who he was, because even... If you've been a Christian for 30 seconds or 30 years, you have a picture of who Jesus is. And sometimes that's more informed by the people around us than the Bible before us. And so I remember when I was sitting at Easter camp this year, there was a whole lot of hype, a whole lot of awesome times sitting in worship. And there was like five guys in front of me that hadn't showered for about four days. Uh, and everyone's got their hands up in worship, which seems like the worst when you haven't showered. And I'm above them in the bleachers, so all the heat rises. So I'm just painting that mental picture for you. And I remember sitting there going, man, out of, out of all the things I should be thinking and feeling right now, what came back to me the most was sitting in a hall at Narrows Park, crying after worshipping the most I'd ever worshipped. And I remember sitting there, huddled over, crying out for God that night and saying, Lord, save me. I want you as my Lord and Savior. And I remember that so clearly. Matt Martin had just finished speaking. Some of you know Matt Martin. Jenny prayed for me. She was over on the left. She was camp mum. She was my safety. And I remember all the things that were going through my mind as a teenager. And they seem real silly now. But at the time, they were so serious. I was praying for my girlfriend at the time as well because my girlfriend uh, didn't know Jesus in the way that I did now. And as I cried out for Jesus, I also cried out for her and said, Lord, come to her and save her. And so anyway, I went back to my life because when you leave Easter Camp, you go home. And home feels different in a weird way that I couldn't explain. And, and I told my girlfriend about this and she necessarily freaked out that's always good it's a good start a good basis for a relationship and so I decided you know we won't talk about that too much and so then I had this uh deal with God I said okay we're not going to break up 
because I know you and I'm just going to smuggle you into our relationship and that's going to be her finding you and that's going to be awesome. And Jesus was like, that's a terrible idea. And I was like, I think I'm, I think I know how this works. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty clever. If anyone's going to do it, it's, we should probably follow my plan. You've been how old? Yeah, so he didn't answer, see? So I just took that as permission that that was what I was supposed to be doing. And I tried for years. Like I just, I just, I tried to bring it to church. I tried to do all these things, which is what I should have been doing. But I had this voice in the back of my head that I couldn't shake. And one night at a worship night, I remember breaking down. It had been about two, three years since. And Jesus says to me, she's going to come to me, but not through you. And this just crushed all of my soul on the inside. And I was like, what does he mean? I'm doing the best that I can. I'm doing everything he's telling me to do. And he's saying, you just need to come away and leave her to me. Anyway, ignore that for another couple of years, as a good associate pastor should. And then it comes to the time where we're up in Auckland. We're living together at this stage. And... And God knocks on my heart again and says, hey, you need to pull away from this relationship. It's not healthy for you or her. And we were living with her sister at the time, and her sister says, okay, um, we're going to move back to Matamata. And my girlfriend at the time turns to me and says, cool, we'll find another place to live. And I said, actually, about that, uh, why don't we find a place to live in different houses, that'd be cool, eh? That's a cool plan. She hated that plan, to be fair. Uh, and slowly we drifted apart in different houses and then we eventually broke up. So I'm up in Auckland, studying away at a Christian performing arts school where God's just changing my life in a brand new way, um, teaching me who he is. And then my girlfriend back in Matamata, now because she's moved back to Matamata, She thinks, I know what I'll do. He's been talking about that Jesus guy for ages. What I'll do is I'll go to church. Clever. If I go to church and I hang out at church, he goes to church, we get back together, problem solved. Points for trying. She goes to church, my church. She muscles in on my church. She starts going. She's like, okay, this is... I thought this was weird. She goes, it's definitely weird. All those people are definitely strange. But she goes back the next week. And she goes back the next week. And she goes back the next week. And after all these weeks, the first week she came for me, the next week she came for me, the next week she sort of came for me, the next week she didn't come for me. And she got to a place where she eventually said, I don't care if we ever get back together again. And that made me so happy. And from that moment on, she found Jesus for herself in a way that I never could. I could never lead her in that way. And God had already told me that. And so the minute that happened, the minute that she felt like she was going to church for Jesus, we got back together again. That's fantastic, eh? And now we're engaged and married and have a whole bunch of kids. But in the same way that 
what I was discovering was there's a verse in uh, where is it Luke two verse eleven. It's where an angel is talking to the shepherds in the field when Jesus is born, right? And it says this: It says, "Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord." The story of my life is I I totally understood the first half of this verse. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born. I had been to Easter camp. I'd found out who Jesus was. He is my savior. All have fallen short of the glory of God. I've sinned. I'm not perfect. I'm messed up. But I come to Jesus because he saves me from all of those things. He is my savior. I will praise the rest of my days for the things that Jesus has saved me from and the person that he has saved me from being. I will praise him for the things that he is saving me for. I will praise him for the things that he saved me from. I love who Jesus is as my Savior. The second half of that verse, I'm still learning, and I don't even know how old I am because I forgot, but he is the Messiah, the Lord. And I remember sitting there in this hall in Narrows Park saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. And then as a 30-year-old, I realized I'm sitting there praising him as a Savior but not recognizing him as my Lord. And Lord is a word that we use all the time. But in Luke 6.46, it says, some call me Lord, Lord, but why, why call me Lord, Lord if you don't listen to what I say? And as I'm sitting here, as my wife is sitting there with me in our new house with our five kids, I think, at no, part, at no point did I have any hand in who she has become. And then I have one more reason, five more reasons, a million more reasons to praise his name for the good work that he's doing in her. And none of that I can take the credit for. And God knows this because he, he tells me he's, she's going to come to me but not through you. And at the, at the start I think... You mean I can't help? You mean I can't have a hand? You mean I can't be a part of her story? He's saying no. He's saying so that you don't take the credit. So that you don't sit there in your marriage and think she's only doing this for me. So I don't sit there raising our kids in our church and say this is what I want, but what does she really want? I come away from it going... Did you pick Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yeah, then what's he telling you to do? And she follows her own way. She follows the same God on a different path that's side by side with mine. And so who is Jesus? We just moved into we just moved into a brand new house in the last four weeks, which is crazy because there's seven of us. We were in a three-bedroom house, and that's cool, and I love them. But if they could be further away from me, that would be great because my kids are very loud. We have a seven-year-old girl, I think a six-year-old girl, the ages escaped me, and a nine-month-old girl. And when we had our seven and our six-year-old girls, we decided to adopt 11-year-old twins. They were six at the time. It's a very confusing amount of ages. So now we have two 11-year-old twin boys, a seven-year-old girl, a six-year-old girl and a nine-month-old baby. And the house 
is as loud as anything. Put your hands up if you have kids. So no? That's good. This is the quietest it's going to be all week for all of you. Okay? So we just took over this house, and, and the craziest thing about this house is there's way too many light switches. In our old house, if the light went out, in a couple of months we would change the bulb. In the new house, we counted like 19 lights in the kitchen, and we don't understand what these people were doing. And if I feel like I'm going to break one bulb and have to replace them all. I don't understand how lights work. And the other thing is there's so many doors. There's like doors everywhere. And there's locks on everything and keys on everything except for the bathroom. Out of all the places in the world, there's no lock on the bathroom. There's a lock on a cupboard that I don't use. There's no lock on the bathroom. And even though our house was small, the house that we were in, it had a lock on the bathroom and it was a beautiful place. It was like the Holy of Holies but a lot less hygienic. And and if you are a parent, you know that there's one safe place in the house and it's not your bedroom. The kids can get to you anywhere, anytime, through any window or any strange opening surface. They will find you. They will come for you. And so in our bathroom, it used to be this safe place. And now, and it was a small house, so like the door's there, the toilet's here, everything's really close. In the new house, the toilet's here, and the door's over by Murray, and there's no lock on it. And so the sanctuary that once was is now a place of fear and turmoil. And you sit there, and and that's what it is. You're just waiting for this time. It's no, there's no relaxing to be had. You're just waiting for someone to burst in the door. And I thought, if only they had a lock on the door. But what if the last owners didn't give us the key for the door on the bathroom? Imagine moving into your new house and you were free to go into every room except for the bathroom for three months. And then I was like, you know what? I'm glad there's no lock on the door. But when I'm sitting here and I'm reading this passage here and it's saying, he is the Messiah, the Lord. What does that look like for me? It's like when I came to Jesus at Narrows Park and I said, you are my Lord. It was effectively me saying, here are the keys to the house that is me. Here is my temple for you. And I felt like that's all of me, Jesus. And I said, if I was to put every room in that house as a part of my life, then I would say the kitchen is uh, my friends. That's my friendship circles. Jesus, come in. We'll do some things. Cool. The lounge is like my family. The hallway is just um, all the people that are on the train or on the bus, everyone that I walk past every day. And I said, Lord, do these amazing things in me. Come into these areas of my life. And then at the same time, it was as if, my relationship with my girlfriend or my wife now was in a locked door in the house I'd given to Jesus. And for, for me, it was this realization like, how many years have I said that I am the Lord's? How many years have I served him in all that he has done for me? All he has called me to. For so long, I've given him this house that is me, 
but how many keys have I kept from him? I've said, Lord, speak into every area of my life except for my relationship. And then slowly, I, slowly but surely, I would move around the room thinking, actually, I could put a lock on this door too. My family. Lord, I, I grew up with them. I know how to deal with them. You got nothing to say here. It's okay. My friends, these guys I've been friends with all my life. These guys know me better than my family. I will handle that too. And so I lock that door to Jesus. But I still come and I say, Lord, I give you all. Because it sounds more dramatic than, I surrender some. I surrender 40%. But really on the inside of me, that's what I'm doing. I'm saying, Lord, come and be my savior. But please, if anything, don't be my Lord. Don't take the things that I hold precious because I can't risk the things that I've made for the things that you want to give me. The older and older that I've gotten, and it may not be old for some, and it may be way older for others, the more I have ever gotten out of my life is a testament to a key that I've handed over to God. I could not imagine marrying my high school sweetheart and actually loving her more today than we got we got married 10 years ago this year i couldn't even think 10 years ahead when i was at high school they said 10 year plan i said be rich five year plan get rich two year plan i got lost at that point i was already switched off mathematical college we didn't get a lot out of it God looks into my future and says, hey, how about we'll try something new. You hand over the keys to your relationship and I'll unlock something in your life that you can't imagine because you are dumb. And I thought, actually, based on all of my past experiences, I am dumb. We'll try something new here. And what does that look like for my life every day? That means from now on, when I go to a family barbecue... I say, Lord, what would you have me do here? Here is that key. And, you know, sometimes he says to me, he might say to me, like, hey, do a backflip. He's never done that yet. So do a backflip. And I'll be like, no. And then he says, okay, go and pray for your sister who doesn't go to church right now. And I say, do you want a back flip or a front flip? Because I can try either. But what happens is when I give control over to him, then I'm praying for my sister in my garage, which makes no sense. And she's crying and she has no idea where these tears are coming from. And I'm saying, I don't know where they're coming from either, but I think it might be Jesus. And I've been in a relationship with my sister for my whole life. But I haven't given that key over to Jesus. And so now I'm in a space and a place where I'm saying, Lord, if there are keys that I'm keeping from you, it feels dangerous even saying it into this microphone. (laughs) You guys get what I mean. (laughs) Okay, I'll say it. Lord, if there are things that I'm keeping back from you, I'm offering them to you now doing me something greater than I could.
because you are always going to be greater than I am. I have come to you as Savior for years, saving me from myself, saving me from my sin. But now I'm calling you as Lord. Because Savior is amazing. Savior, Jesus Savior is awesome. But at the end of the day, it's personal. Jesus as my Savior saves me. Jesus as my Savior loves me. Jesus as my Savior cleanses me. When you switch over to Jesus as Lord, that's for everybody else around you. Because a Savior says, I love you, son. A Lord says, I command you, son. Savior says, look at our relationship. And Lord says, I'm calling you to others in my name. And so instead of this half of Jesus that I was taking on, the selfish part of me loves that and I need that. But I don't want to live there. I want to say, you are my Savior every day. Command me as Lord every day. Send me out for others. Because I've got this awesome treasure and this awesome gift and this awesome love. What's more selfless than giving it to someone else? And so for each and every one of us, I don't know where you're at, but I want you to close your eyes right now. And I want you to imagine your house, wherever that house is, or your favorite house, if that was the last house you were in. I want you to imagine every room as a different part of your life. Imagine the lounge and imagine your family, those that you think and pray about every day, sitting in that lounge. Say, God, what would you have me do for them? I want you to imagine the kitchen and imagine all the people that you work with sitting around that table, standing around the fridge. Lord, what would you have me do in that space? Heading down the hallway. Lord, what about all the random other drivers on the road? All the people that I pass by every day without giving a second glance. What would you have me do in those moments? I know I always don't have keys, but Jesus, if there was a key, I'd give it to you. Imagine the bedroom. If you have kids, imagine your kids' bedrooms. What would you have me do as a father or a mother? Not in the big grand, Lord, in 20 years I'm going to help my kids into a house. Like, what am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do on the way home from here to be a better mom? What am I going to do on the way home from here to be a better father? Give him that key. Your bedroom your relationship with someone that you're intimate with. Hand that over to Jesus. Say, Lord, I've done it my way for far too long. I don't know where to put your work life in that house. If I'm honest, when I look around, it's hard because that house is really full. If I look at all my family and my friends, the people I pass by, my kids and my intimate relationship, work is the furthest thing from my mind sometimes. And so sometimes we forget to give God that key as well. But Lord, we offer that to you as well. Let me be honorable in all of my business dealings, Lord. Let the way that I present myself to others reflect who you are in my life. I'm just going to take this time to pray. Is that cool? Lord, we sit here before you. And we praise you first as Savior. 
but we take the time out to honor you as Lord. We thank you for everything that you've done for us, Lord, but we pray into everything you're calling us out to, Lord. Help us to be your hands and feet in Huntley, Lord, in the greater work of Lord. Lord, help me to see the people that only I can touch. Help me to see the difference that I can make for you, Lord. I empty myself out of everything that I am. And I take today to hand over more keys, even if it's not all of them, Lord. I hand you one more key right now, Lord, to one more area of my life. Lord, we praise you on credit for what you're already going to do out of this space, Lord, and out of these people and in these people. Transform us with your power. In your name, Jesus, amen. If there's one more thing I want to leave you guys with, which is just something that was just on my heart. Has anyone ever heard of the analogy of the pizza box? Good, I just wrote it just now. Don't Google it. But there was this there was a speaker that I heard once, and he talked about a pizza delivery guy turning up with a pizza in his hand. And and the cheese is like oozing down his hand and and he asks you, like, hey, did you order a pepperoni? And the answer is, I, I didn't order that pepperoni. Heck no. But the first question you would have is, what's your first question? Where's the box? Straight up, where is the box? Not Murray. He's jumping. He's all, he's all the way to the next five questions. But that's okay because he's got vision. <laughs> but. The idea is like, man, you are hungry as anything, but it doesn't matter how hungry you are, you don't know where that dude's hands been, right? You don't know if he was delivering in a Huntley, I don't know, would you trust it? In Matamata, we wouldn't, okay? We would send it back or order from Domino's and pretend like we don't live at that place, right? But all you're worried about is where is the box, right? And the box is this cardboard thing that you probably can't recycle now because there's some random law against recycling pizza boxes or something for COVID, but there is like... This 20 cent box, right? And literally the pizza box's job is to do nothing but be clean and empty. Like 100% of the time until your pizza goes in it, right? The box is worth nothing and the pizza is worth everything. And it's not the box that gives the pizza its value. It's the pizza that gives the box its value. In the same way, all we're called to do as followers of Jesus is be clean and be empty. You want to do something to affect the world? You want to be like the exciting thing when you turn up to a place and they're like, oh man, Murray's here. When people are hungry for pizza, that's what it looks like. Oh, hey, pizza's here. Hey, this is awesome. Without a box, they're like, eh, pizza's here. Yeah, with the box. <laughs> In the same way, like if you... Come to Jesus and you're clean. And how do you get clean? He's your savior. He washes you clean of all that stuff. All your sin. Everything. He washes you clean. And then you're empty and waiting to be filled up by what he's calling you out to do. Our focus in our lives is to do everything we can to support that pizza. So that when you turn up into a place... They say, man, Murray is awesome. But what's he got inside of him that makes him different? Oh, pepperoni or Jesus. And that's what my life has tried to be a calling of 
every day and I have to wake up and remind myself I'm just a box. I'm not the pizza. I've had a lot of pizza. It's making me a very big box. But, but Lord, I stand back and I say, you are the pizza. Fill me. Give me value. Help me to be a blessing to the hungry people of the world. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast.